And as you are, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And at this time, the youngest of children uh, can meet their teachers in the back, but they are also more than welcome to stay with us. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 19. We're going to finish up the second part of the story of the rich young man. You can follow along in your Bibles or in the screens behind me. Hear now God's word to his people. Verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, rewards are, are sort of all around us, right? It's part of our society. Uh, you probably are part of some rewards program for a restaurant or, or some other thing where if you, if you do enough, you get some back, right? You get some free stuff if you spend enough money. Or, you know, in sports or other activities, you you do well enough and you get the reward of praise and maybe even a trophy or a ribbon. In your jobs, you do enough, you know the right people, you can get promoted and have all the rewards that come with that. I was thinking this week about why do we like rewards so much? Why, why do they bring us so much joy? And, and you know, kids, it's, it's not just you, it's adults too. We really like rewards. And, and I was thinking, you know, we're an achievement society. If you're talented enough, smart enough, if you do well enough, you will often get a reward. So often, these rewards serve as validation. They serve as confirmation right? Okay, we got a reward. That means we are special. We got a reward. That means we are smart, funny, good-looking, talented, whatever the reward might be for. But how do rewards work in God's kingdom? As we remember Jesus's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that do to the way that we think about rewards? How can we change the way we think about rewards so that God's will is done on earth the way that it is in heaven. We're going to look at three things this morning from our passage that will shape the way that we rethink rewards in God's kingdom. We're going to look at how we cannot be saved by earthly rewards. We cannot deserve heavenly rewards, but we must trust in God's reward system. Let's look at how we cannot be saved by earthly rewards first. If you uh, see our first verse, Jesus begins uh, his instruction with something that sounds pretty reasonable in verse 23. He says, 
Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Most of us hear that and don't have much of a problem with it. And if I asked you why, you would probably have a a decent explanation, right? Uh, I imagine you would say something like, well, it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because when someone has wealth, they tend to depend on the wealth and not on God. The wealth, the money brings them comfort and security, not God. And you would be absolutely correct if you said that. Good job. They've made money the reward and not God. But look at what Jesus says in the next verse. It's more than difficult. He says, again, I tell you, so he's reemphasizing what he just said. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, only with difficulty can a rich person enter the kingdom of God. But then he gives an impossible example. The American equivalent would be when pigs fly, right? You don't give that as an example. You know, you shouldn't be looking out in the sky. Okay, are pigs flying today? No, that's an example of it will never happen. And if you think you're surprised, look at how the disciples reacted. Verse 23, or 5, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? In their minds, in the minds of the disciples, uh, money and more than money, was a sign of blessing from God. If you had lots of money, that means obviously God gave it to you. That means obviously you're doing something right. And this isn't like just some crazy Pharisee thing. This is from Scripture. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God tells his people, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all that I command, you... Today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. He continues to give specific blessings. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you rain to your lands in season and to bless all the work of your hands. And here it is. And you shall lend. You're going to have so much money. People are going to come to you to borrow money, but you're not going to need to borrow. That's how much the Lord will bless you. Now here's the problem. God said to his people that if they obeyed, he would reward them. But the disciples and others of their time took that to mean that whoever had the reward was then blessed. Whoever had the reward, whether it was money or children or land or animals, was blessed. They were favored by God. They were saved. Because God only blesses those who have faithfulness to God, right? Yes and no. As we've already said, we cannot be saved by earthly rewards. The rewards come later. That would be like me saying, children, if you eat lollipops, you're going to be healthy. Here's where I'm getting that. Uh, When you go to the doctor, they'll often give you some sort of lollipop or a treat afterward, right? Especially if you've done a good job. But if we put the cart before the horse, if we then say, well, when they have good health, they get lollipops. Let me, just, let me just jump straight to the lollipop. Here you go. We're not only wrong, we're actually having the opposite effect. And so if we seek rewards, if we organize our lives in such a way that our main goal becomes gaining earthly rewards, we're not just going to miss out on true rewards. We're actually doing harm to ourselves, to our souls. 
Jesus tells us that not only are rich people, not only are all rich people not especially favored by God, it's actually impossible for them to be saved. Why? Why is he using such strong imagery? Because we cannot be saved by earthly rewards. It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because to enter the kingdom of God, you must serve the king of God and him alone. When we serve two masters, something's got to give, right? Imagine trying to be a full-time doctor and a full-time police officer. Eventually, your schedules are going to bump into one another. Imagine trying to play baseball for the Yankees and for the Red Sox. What do you do when you face each other? Who do you play for? Eventually, you're going to have to choose because you can't be in two places at once. You can't serve two masters. So for us in this room, we don't bow down to a literal idol. We don't literally call something our master. So when we read or hear Jesus' words that we shouldn't store up treasures on earth, we actually agree. We nod our heads. Amen, pastor. But if we honestly evaluated our lives, we would admit that what preoccupies our time, what makes us anxious, what brings us joy, is money. But it's not just money. Others of us have sports as our master either for ourselves or for our kids. Our, our schedules center around sports and activities. Our biggest joys and disappointments in life come from sports. We want to take a break and we want to get together with our friends, but we can't. We have practice. We have a game. We could go on, right? Jesus is using money, but you could say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is obsessed with politics to enter the kingdom of God or someone consumed with others' opinions of them, or someone whose main goal is to accumulate more power and recognition for themselves. Insert your pet sin. We can be like the prodigal son, can't we? Leaving the presence of our loving Father, looking to earthly rewards for our joy and salvation, when in fact we had everything we need with the Father. That's the good news of the Gospel. Because as impossible as it is for a rich person or a greedy person or a selfish person or a gossiping person or a person obsessed with sports to enter the kingdom of heaven, look at Jesus' words in verse 26. As impossible as this is, with man this is impossible. Don't water that down. It is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus doesn't back down from saying that a rich man entering the kingdom of God is an impossible thing. But he also backs those words up by saying that God can do the impossible. God can take a heart wrapped up in money, power, sports, body image, or what others think of ourselves and do the impossible task of setting them free from the slavery that those things bring. And so as we trust our lives to Jesus, we realize that Jesus is everything we need, so we have everything we need in Him. So there's no need to place our hope or our status in any reward. We are able to give those things up, those temporary rewards, for the true reward of knowing Jesus. But you know, uh, I'm, I'm struck by how creative we are. Um, and I know when I hear the word creative, I think, no, I'm not creative. I can't draw. I can't paint. 
but you're all really creative. You are. Humans are, are very creative. Um, we find all new ways to not just sin, but to justify our behavior, to actually call what is bad a good. Um, we look at others who accumulate earthly rewards, and we think that's something out there, right? I don't do that. They do that. And so we sit back comfortably because I actually, I haven't stored up earthly rewards. I've actually sacrificed a lot. But that's when we get creative because we start thinking that we deserve heavenly rewards. As much as we cannot, we cannot be saved by earthly rewards, we also cannot deserve heavenly rewards. You see, we forget that the story of the prodigal son is actually the story of two sons. Yes, there was the son who left in search of earthly rewards. We call that one the sinner. But there was another son who stayed back. And he thought by virtue of his sacrifice, by virtue of his loyalty, he then deserved heavenly rewards. Peter is just one example of how creative we can be, of how easily sin sneaks into our lives. Look at verse 21. Peter was remembering Jesus' words to the rich young man. Because Jesus said, look, if you would be perfect, if you would be complete, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. So Peter turns that around and says, okay. See, we have, we have left everything. Jesus, we have. So, so we get the reward, right? What will we get? Do you see the attitude? Oh, okay, so all I have to do is give up everything and I will get the reward. Jesus, I did that. I'm ready for my reward. Jesus, I, I've been, I've been uh, at Sunday worship every Sunday. I'm ready. Jesus, I, I've given a tenth of my salary. I'm ready. Jesus, I don't do drugs. I don't excessively drink alcohol. I'm ready. And we start subtly thinking that we deserve these things. Now, Jesus' response might be surprising. He actually assures Peter that there will be a reward. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the regeneration, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The disciples, the apostles who first followed Jesus would have a special place in the kingdom of God. But as so often happens, what is initially only for the twelve apostles then gets extended to the rest of us, all believers. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul takes it for granted that you should already know this, right? He, he, he's not so much telling as asking, do you not know? Like, didn't you know that the saints will also judge the world? That's a given. And so there is reward. There is. I, I want to assure you of that. There is. But do you deserve them? Verse 29, Jesus extends this. Everyone, Peter, not just you and the disciples, but everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now I'm sure you know this, but I, I have to say it. Uh, I'm sure you know not to take this literally, uh, this idea of hundredfold, right? If you leave your mother for the sake of the gospel, you're not going to have a hundred mothers in the kingdom of heaven. 
That doesn't sound like much of a reward at all. But, but in saying this, the point is that whatever you give up, you will receive more than you can ever imagine. But there's a qualifier. Did you catch the qualifier in verse 29? Here it is again, verse 29. Everyone who has left all these things for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There's a right way and a wrong way to sacrifice for the kingdom. There's a right way and a wrong way to be loyal. There's a kind of servanthood that's only in it for the reward. And there's a servanthood that is in it for the delight of the reward. Slight difference. Now, I'm not saying don't have the reward in mind. That's ludicrous. The, the gospel presents reward for that purpose. You should have the reward in mind. But there's a wrong way to go about it and a right way to go about it. You can imagine an employee who, who covers a shift for a coworker, right? She can do it in search of the, of the right reward or the wrong reward. If she does it to help out her coworker, that's the reward in and of itself, right? She has brought joy. She has brought aid to her fellow human being, her fellow coworker, maybe even her friend. And in so doing, she's actually brought joy to herself. The reward is in the task. The reward is actually in the sacrifice. Or she can do it because she expects her coworker to cover her shift. You owe me one. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And we can be guilty of treating God like this. I'll give you my Sunday mornings, God. I'll stop saying some naughty words. I, I, uh, I'll be nice to people. I'll put some money in the plate. Now what do I get? In our first section, we saw that we cannot be saved by earthly rewards. And we saw the similarities to the prodigal son who left in search of earthly happiness. Now we have the often forgotten older brother who stayed behind, who sacrificed and was loyal and therefore thought he deserved his father's rewards. But do you remember his father's response? This is key. Luke chapter 15, verse 31. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Can, can you let those, can you leave that up there actually? Can, can you let those words just Sweep over you, consume you. Can you please put it up there? <laughs> Thanks. Can, can you let those words just change your heart? Can you, can you let them destroy every, every greedy desire in your heart? Can you let them melt away any anxiety, any, any trouble, anything that makes you wake up and, and seek after the things of earth? What Jesus is saying is that if you are united to Him, you are trying to earn something that is already yours. That is the good news of the gospel, Christian. Everything you're searching for, acceptance, yours. Value, yours. Purpose, yours. Love, yours. All that is mine is yours, says the King of the universe. The reward doesn't give you worth or validate you. Jesus does. The gospel tells us that you cannot earn God's favor and the good news of the gospel is that if you are in Christ, you already have God's favor and everything you need. Amen? So, 
when you feel your heart coveting earthly rewards, you can remind yourself that these do not gain us what we really need. And when we arrogantly begin to believe that we somehow deserve heavenly rewards because of how much we've sacrificed or how loyal we've been, you can remind yourself that you already have everything you need in Christ. So now as we finish up, let us briefly reflect on how we must trust in God's reward system. Uh, I've heard many Christians, I'm sure you have too, uh, at some point in their lives they make some corny joke about this last verse. All right, Verse 30. Many who are first will be last, and the last first, right? You can imagine it at the church potluck or church picnic. You and your buddy are walking up to the table to grab some food. You're not sure who's going to go first. Kind of give this motion, and they look at you almost as if to say, are you sure? And you look back in full confidence. Oh, I'm sure. After all, the first will be last, and the last first, right? So, so you've, heard, you've heard the joke, but how do we, how do we understand this verse properly? Uh, is Jesus referring to believers versus unbelievers, right? Unbelievers who, who search after earthly rewards, they're the ones who think they're first, but they're actually last. And believers who have given up and have sacrificed and have been loyals, loyal, they're the last ones, and they're eventually going to be first. Is that what Jesus is saying? I would suggest to you that he is not. When we look at this verse in context, what Jesus is actually, the person Jesus is aiming this at is, is me. It's me, the believer. It's us, the ones who have known Jesus, who have known the truth for a long time. We are the ones that think we are first. But many of us will in fact be last. That's why Jesus says to Peter, yes, you will receive a reward, but, but, in contrast to that, many who have been first will actually be last. Uh, let me illustrate. I, uh, I remember 13-ish years ago, uh, one of my best buddies came home from college for spring break with this new game, Spikeball. I'm seeing some, hot, yeah, it's a great game. Um, uh, it wasn't on the market. You literally couldn't buy it. Uh, he just, he knew a guy who knew a guy. Uh, and it was only circulating around college campuses. So we played it. We got a group of four, four to six of us who really played it a lot and honestly caught quite good at it. I would have told you that I loved the game of spike ball. I would have told you that with confidence. Well, fast forward a few years and now it's beginning to catch on as I suspected it would. And people are playing it in parks, at the beach, young, old, in between. There were even nationwide tournaments being held, nationwide spike ball tournaments. You'd think I couldn't be happier. You know what I actually felt? Anger, resentment, even pettiness. Right? <laughs> You've been playing spike ball for two years. I've been playing for 12 years. Oh, you think that was a good play? Amateur. Right? Oh, you didn't even know they had a glow-in-the-dark set? <laughs> Figures. Yeah. Yeah. On and on, my resentment grew. And what I grew to learn is that I didn't actually love the game of spikeball. I loved the feeling of superiority that spikeball gave me. 
I, I loved knowing about a game that no one else knew about. I loved being the best at a game because no one else knew about it. I love that feeling. I love the feeling of saying, hey, you want to play spike ball? And knowing that I was going to be one of the best on the court. I love that. I loved what spike ball gave me, not the actual game of spike ball. And so for many of us, the question is, do you love Jesus? Or do you love what Jesus gets you? When someone tells you about a new book, is your response, yeah, I read that years ago. And I did a Bible study on it. And I got it autographed by the author. Or, or is it, yeah, I, I did read that book. Did you read it? What's, what's your favorite part? Let's talk about it. Let's grab coffee. Do we rejoice with others? When someone is growing in their knowledge of theology, is your internal response, you've been a Christian for how long and you didn't know that? That's embarrassing. When Jesus says the first will be last, it's tempting to look out there. But I would invite you to, to grab a mirror instead, to look at your own heart. Because the kingdom of God has no place for that kind of thinking, Christian. If you maintain that kind of thinking, you will be last. We think we have a right to a great reward because we've sacrificed, because we've spent much time studying. We've spent much time, many hours in prayer. We have been loyal even in hard times. But we must trust in God's reward system. In God's reward system, the first will be last and the last first. Hear now the good news of the gospel. In our confession of faith this morning, we looked at Philippians 2. Let me remind you of one of the verses in there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, there's a command. Have this mind among yourselves. That's the call, right? Do nothing from selfish, uh, before it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look only not to his interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind, have that mind, that mindset among yourselves. Here's the good news. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say all these things that Christ did. He sacrificed, he humbled himself, he took on the form of a man. And it mentions all, Paul mentions all these things not so that you would be motivated, not so that you would be inspired, not so that you would leave here with a holy guilt trip, but so that you would see that everything you have, everything you need, is in Christ Jesus. You are actually empowered, enabled, you are given everything you need to do to have this mind, to look out for the interests of others more than yourself, to not search after earthly rewards, to search after heavenly rewards with the right motive. You have everything you need. And so Christians, as we leave this place, I would encourage you with the gospel, not to seek the rewards of this earth, which do not bring joy, not to seek the benefits Jesus brings you instead of Jesus himself, but to consider God's reward system as we will sing in a moment. In our song, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, he, these are one of the last lyrics. Think what spirit dwells within you, Christian. Think what Father's smiles are yours. Do you picture God the Father? Do you picture Yahweh smiling at you? 
think that Jesus died to win thee. And in light of all that, can you repine? That word repine means fret, worry, be anxious. Can you really be anxious? Can you really be worried about anything when you think that the Spirit of God dwells within you? Can you really be worried about anything when you think of the Father of the universe, God the Father smiling? When you think that God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die for you, is there really anything you need? Is there anything you can be worried about? When we realize all that we have in Jesus Christ, everything else pales in comparison. I pray that the Spirit would change your heart and mine to really believe that and live out this gospel together. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that in your kindness you, you do reward us. But I pray that we would learn what the reward actually is. I pray that we would learn that the reward is Jesus Christ. And when we have Jesus, when we have the King of the universe, all other rewards pale in comparison. I pray that you would send your Spirit to change hearts this morning that we would look out for the interests of others more than even our own. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.